My name's Sean. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Cypress Creek Church. So fun to hang out with you guys one week before Christmas. Hope that didn't surprise you. Taylor kind of alluded to all the activities going on here this week, but it is going to be a great week. Hope you're excited about where things are headed uh, for your family, but we get a chance to hang out this morning together. Start by doing this. I want you to imagine for a second. Imagine you live in a small town. Hopefully not a hard imagine for most of you, right? Um, you live in a small town, and there's a major event coming up, major event, and everybody in the town is excited, knows about the event, and is excited about the event. And uh, now this one may be a little harder, but imagine that you're a young person, maybe a teenager, and this big event is coming up. For some of you, that would be easier to imagine than others, but you're pretty young maybe, you know? And uh, we don't know exactly how old, let's just say young though. Uh, so imagine you're young, you're in a small town, a big event is coming up, everybody is excited, everybody is counting on the outcome of this event and thinking about it, and then all of a sudden it is incredibly deflating and disappointing. And you have to live with the ramifications of being in the middle of that. Well, that is what we're going to study today in the life of Joseph, because that's what he experienced in his small town, in his situation. And there are a lot of really cool lessons we can learn from him. We're in a series at Christmas time where we are looking at these characters in the Bible and uh, what they do in the midst of kind of what seems like an insignificant situation, but it turns out to have incredible significance. And if anybody lives up to the, you know, seeming insignificant, it would be Joseph. We don't know much about him. There's not much said. He doesn't even have a speaking role anywhere in the Bible. He doesn't say anything that's recorded. Joseph, uh, man, gets little fanfare. He was Jesus' adoptive father, his earthly father. If you don't know that, we'll read about that in just a little bit. There's a Sunday school teacher one day that asked her, her class, her young class of students, and she said, hey, does anybody know the name of Jesus' earthly father? And this one little boy raised his hand, and she said, yeah, Johnny, what was Jesus' earthly father's name? And he said, Verge. And she looked at him and said, Verge? No, what, what in the world are you talking about? His name was Joseph. And he said, oh, I thought it was Verge. She said, well, why did you think it was Verge? She said, because everybody always says, born of Verge and Mary. <laughs> like, that's, Joseph gets no respect. He just doesn't. Joseph isn't even the most popular Joseph in the Bible. That was a guy in the Old Testament that gets way more attention than Joseph does, than the father of Jesus does. I mean, that, the Joseph in the Old Testament's more written about. He's got more stories about him, more dedication in the Bible. He's even got a musical named after him with some Technicolor dream coat. All that stuff. Joseph gets not much respect. And yet in the middle of what seems like an insignificant character in the Bible, we find significant learnings and growth that we can apply in our own lives. See, Joseph teaches us a lot about a word that we kind of like to jump over sometimes in our faith, and that is obedience. Now, some of you have said, hmm, I don't know, maybe what obedience conjures up in your mind when you think of the word, but it's usually not necessarily a positive thing, right? Like when you think of obedience, what comes into your mind? Obedience. I mean, for me, literally, my first association is this sweet puppy dog we have that I spent a lot of money on obedience school. 
I don't know what they do at the obedience school. They have some kind of magical thing that on the day you pick them up, your dog does exactly what that person trained them to do. And then you ride home in the car and none of that stuff translates to the house. That's my experience with obedience. Like that's what I think of. Think of this sweet puppy dog that we have. Um, but obedience is something that's really important for us in our faith journey. So what's, what's that mean? Well, by definition, obedience is, is the process of hearing, trusting, submitting, and acting in accordance with an authority, in our case, with, with the authority of God and his word. So obedience is doing those things in accordance with and under the authority of God and, and his word. Now, hearing, that's where you got to start. You got to start by hearing. You got you to start by understanding, reading, studying, being a part under, of God's word. And some of us just get off right there. We just don't want to listen to it. We think it's going to be a bunch of rules and laws and things that we don't want to live under. And so we, we jump off there. That's where my dog loses obedience. Somehow that dog runs out the door and hears nothing that I'm saying from that point on. Like nothing. Doesn't hear. No help. The second thing is trust. Part of obedience is trust. You not only have to hear, but you have to trust that the authority over you cares about you and wants what's best for you. I think that's another place we get off track with the dog is because she doesn't trust that I have her best interest in mind. It's much of freedom out there running the streets and there's a lot of containment in my house. And that, so they don't think I have, the, she doesn't think I have the best in mind for her. I really don't want her to run in front of a car most days. And so... <laughs> I do want what's best for her, but she doesn't trust that. We got to hear and we have to trust. And then we've got to submit. And man, that's not a word we enjoy very much as people. You know, we don't want to submit to somebody else's authority. We like rebellion. That's what we like. Man, since the 60s, we've loved rebellion ever since then. Let's rebel against something. Rebel against rules. Rebel against laws. Rebel against the man. Rebel against the government. Rebel. Let's rebel. Rebellion's become the popular thing. You know what's not popular is obedience. And yet obedience, if we submit ourselves to an authority that loves us and cares for us, the end result is joy and peace. So we have to hear, trust, submit, and then we have to act under obedience and in obedience. We got to choose sometimes the path that we want to, and, and it's going to come down to a choice. And we'll see this in the life of Joseph, that he comes down to a choice. It's been like this for a long time. Back in Deuteronomy God lays it out. He lays some commandments out there for our own good. They're for own, our own relational kind of health with other people. And then at the end, he says this, see, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. You got a fork in the road and a choice. The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord, your God, that I'm giving you today. And the curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord, your God, you have a choice. Obedience leads to blessing, joy, and peace. Disobedience leads to hardship, heartache, curse according to that scripture, negative consequences. And yet we choose disobedience consistently for whatever reason. So this morning, let's look at the life of Joseph and, and figure out what does it look like to obey and, and what are the results of that? Obedience has been around for a long time and it's actually equated with love very frequently in the Bible. Jesus himself says that. He says, if you love me, Keep my commands, obey my commands. How do, how do you prove that you love God? We, we believe, we want to hope we, that he's for us and he, we can trust him. He loves us. How do we love him back? We obey. You know, how, how do we show our parents 
you know, that, that we love them. Well, we listen to, we hear, we, we trust and submit to their rules and their regulations because we think and we believe and we hope they know what's best for us. And then we act in accordance with that. That obedience shows love. It's the same way with Jesus and God. Our obedience shows our love. Matter of fact, it goes so far as to prove our love. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. It's 1 John. Man, we need to love each other. That's part of what he's commanded. And by doing that, by obeying that command, man, that's the, the commandments in the Old Testament, there's a lot of them. Man, you get to the New Testament, and it's shortened up a whole bunch. Love God and love others. This command, a new command I give you, love one another. God's command is that we love, and that's the command we need to obey. Finally, I mean, our obedience proves in our faith. In uh, 1 John 2, 3 through 6, it says this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. There are a lot of people in our culture that would say they know God or that they love God or that they have a relationship with God. And yet, if they refuse to live in any way in accordance with his commands, you can rest assured that they don't know and love him the way he desires for them to. Because obedience is our response to his amazing love for us. Joseph's going to show us that as we read. So we're going to dig into Matthew chapter 1. And uh, if you want to follow along, that's where we'll be here. We're going to skip, not skip because it's not necessarily pertinent, but move down to verse 18. The beginning of Matthew chapter 1 is the genealogy of Jesus. And let me just say this, from Abraham to David is 14 generations, from David to exile in Babylon is 14 generations, and from exile in Babylon to, um, to, to Joseph is 14 generations. So we're talking about 42 generations are, are listed there. Feel free to, to read those if you'd like. And if not, then skip to verse 18 with me, and it says this. We're going to read down to verse 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Let me pause there for a second. When I started out by saying, Joseph, that was a big event and uh, in the town, man, it was a small town that they lived in. Everybody in town would have known about their upcoming you know, marriage. Now, the reality is the way it worked in these times, um, in this culture, was when you got engaged, that was basically, our getting engaged was basically, you, you were legally married at that point. And then you had a period of time for them from that, from that moment where they kind of legally were together, where they uh, were, I don't know exactly what they were doing in their period of time, but at the end of the period, they consummated the marriage by having, you know, a party and a celebration and everybody over. And then a lot of times they ended up living with the husband's family and their in-laws. And that's kind of how the marriage. So this, what we would call an engagement period where, you know, you can still bail and get out of there. They didn't have that opportunity in the culture there. 
Now, I know nowadays you're like, hey, look, once, once those invitations have gone out, nobody's bailing on anything. And, but, I mean, really, that was the case for these guys. So that's the situation they were in. They were between the time where they had legally kind of agreed to marry and they hadn't yet consummated the marriage. And then it says something really interesting in there. It says, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, have you ever wondered how, how did Joseph find out she was pregnant? Well, he didn't have to work very hard to find out because she went away for three months. If you remember from some of the sermons over the last few weeks, she went away to be with Elizabeth. And so she was at least three, probably a little bit more months pregnant when she came back. So it wasn't any surprise to anybody that she was pregnant. You could tell. You could see that she was pregnant. Joseph certainly could see that she was pregnant. I don't know how awkward or interesting that conversation was. Um, I can tell you it, it probably was pretty uncomfortable. And then, you know, Jose said to me the other day, he said, you know what, Mary's faith when the angel spoke to her was, I mean, that was probably the greatest of all these characters. But you know what? He said, Joseph was probably second out of all the people we're discussing. I'm like, I thought about it. I was like, I, I don't think so. I mean, Mary knew she hadn't done anything to get pregnant. Joseph was having to take you know, secondary word for it. So I think Joseph's faith might have been a little bit stronger in the moment. Let's keep reading on down through some of these next verses. That's just for context. Verse 20, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because that, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Jesus woke up, when, sorry, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. All right. Imagine yourself, again, in Joseph's position, what was going on. All of a sudden, this woman that he's committed to comes, she's pregnant. He doesn't know what to do in the moment. I can't, I can't imagine what was going on for him. I'll tell you the closest I can possibly get in my life and in my story. We have five kids, Christina and I, and uh, we had Taylor, we loved that, she was amazing. And then we had Cade, great, awesome. We had Avery and she was stillborn, super difficult. After Christina fought through the depression and the hard stuff, we had uh, Cody, who's just amazing and a joy. And then at Cody, we were done. We high-fived the last diaper, we high-fived the last bottle, everything, we were done. Check that off, we're ready to move on to our next phase of parenting. And that's where we were five years after Cody was born when we moved back to Texas from Georgia. We're in the midst of trying to find a place to live here in Wimberley. I don't know if any of you have tried to move to this area in the last 11 years, but it's not easy to find a home a lot of times. So we were with some friends in San Antonio trying to find a place to live here. And uh, Christina sent me out to get a movie. I realized how, how long ago this story was. Has anybody been out to get a movie in the last... <laughs> I mean, that was just 11 years ago. She sent me out to get a movie. So I went out to get a movie. Um, evidently, we couldn't look it up on the TV there. And so I went out to get a movie. And uh, that was really her way, I think, to get me out of the house because immediately she and our, at the time, 15-year-old daughter jumped in the car and went 
to the, to the drugstore and they got a pregnancy test because Christina hadn't been feeling good and she thought something might be up. I didn't know any of that was happening. I go get the movie, I come home, and they're sitting there, the two women in my life, my 15-year-old daughter and, and my wife, and they have this look on their face of shock and bewilderment, and, and I'm like, what is up? And Christina said, I'm, we can't tell you until you promise you're not gonna get mad. And I'm like, all right, that doesn't seem fair, but all right, I'll try not to get mad. And she said, no, you can't try. And, and she said, you, you're just gonna have to be supportive. And I'm like, Okay, she's not what you expected, but it's, we're gonna get through this. I'm like, okay, quit the setup. What is going on, man? Did I get the wrong movie? What happened? <laughs> and she's, all of a sudden, my 15-year-old daughter pulls this uh, pregnancy test from behind her back. <laughs> and uh, now, I'm, this is my fifth time through this, so I can read those things. Uh, and I was mad and shocked immediately. Like the precursor helped none. And I was like, what in the world is going on? And Christina's like backpedaling me. She's like, hey, hey, I told you not to get mad. I said, why are you not mad? This is ridiculous. How did this happen? And she goes, you know how this happens. I was like, no, I didn't even know she had a boyfriend. She's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, Taylor, I didn't know she had a boyfriend. I don't, I don't know how she, what is going, how are you not, how are you calm in the midst of this? And she's like, what are you, so we were all confused there for a moment until Taylor finally realized, hey, dad, this isn't mine. This is mom's. And I was like, okay, okay. Let me readjust what I'm feeling here in the moment. And uh, man, as a result, we now have Colt, who is an incredible blessing, and we're very thankful for him. But in the moment, I was amazingly shocked. And that is nothing in comparison, I can imagine, to what Joseph was going through. And yet in the middle of that crazy moment where what must have swept over him was concern, guilt, shame, what's going to happen out there in the community, how are people going to see us, how are they going to see her, uh, man, he was a man of faithfulness, humility, and obedience, and there are some really cool lessons in this for us. So let's start with this idea of obedience in tough times, and, and what's it going to take? Three simple steps. Number one, you need to know what's right. Now, how did Joseph know what was right? Well, he actually was described in a pretty cool way. It says, Joseph was faithful to the law. In other versions, in your version, it may say he was a righteous man. He, he knew what was right. He, he knew he had heard in, in our obedience continuum. He had heard, he had trusted, and he had already submitted. So he knew the law. That's where we need to be. If we want to be obedient in difficult times, we've got to start by knowing God's word and knowing what he wants and expects from us in any circumstance. And Joseph knew that. Now, it was still a challenge because that was scary and there was a lot going on that he didn't understand. So the second part of knowing what's right is turning to wise counsel. Joseph had a pretty good deal. I mean, if you, if you need wise counsel, the best thing to happen is an angel to show up while you're sleeping. That's the best counsel you're going to get. I can tell you, you can come see Bob Moss, our spiritual director, or lead pastor Jose. They're going to give you some good counsel, but probably not as good as an angel sent from the Lord while you're sleeping. But you, that rarely happens to me. So it may not happen much to you. So find wise counsel somewhere. And the very most significant place to start is through prayer. Because if you pray, the Holy Spirit will give you wise counsel. 
And if you need a Holy Spirit with skin on, find a mature believer in your life in those difficult moments and get counsel from them. But step one that Joseph shows us is that he was first and foremost prepared because he knew the law. And secondly, he received wise counsel. He knew what was right. Now, that's awesome. But at that moment, just knowing what was right was not enough because if, if he did what the law said, what he would have done was he would have divorced Mary in the moment. That's what the law told him to do. And by divorcing Mary, he would have opened her up at that point because of her supposed immorality to be stoned. That's what the law said. But he cared too much for her and he was too good a person for that. So he did the second thing, which is you sometimes you got to filter, actually all times, you have to filter what's right through the lens of truth and grace, which is what he did. Still in verse 19, it says, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. He's trying to figure out how do I still walk in truth in this moment, but show grace to this woman that I care about. You guys, that's the key for us a lot of times. We may know the right thing to say, but how you say it is critical. You may know truth, but how do you present that truth to the person in a way that they can hear? That's why the Bible says, speak the truth in love. In love means in the balance of grace and truth so that it's seasoned so that it can be heard by whoever is listening. That's what obedience looks like in the moment. I, gotta, I know what's right. Now I got to filter that. How do I present that? Because the third step in the process that Joseph shows us is you got to follow through and do what's right which is what he did. After the angel appeared, it says Joseph woke up and then he did what the Lord commanded. He took Mary home as his wife. He didn't consummate their marriage until she gave birth to the son and he gave the son the name Jesus. He followed through. And if we do that, if we follow through and do what is right, then all the stuff in Romans eight twenty eight, where God works everything together for good, for his Will. That's what happens. He redeems. God redeems the moment when we do the right thing. Even, if in, even in that moment, it may not feel like the right thing. It may be the hard thing. It may cause you some angst, but you can rest assured that by doing the right thing, God will redeem that moment. And he certainly did that for Joseph because he gave Joseph and Jesus this really cool relationship. It says in there, couple of different things. It says, uh, they shall call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel is, is who God is. It's, it means God with us. That, that's who he is. And, and then Jesus means God saves. It's what he does. And so both of those names that we, we commonly refer to him there, he was referred to in the rest of the gospels as Jesus, God, God saves. And so that's the name Joseph gave him. And, they, and because of the redemption of that relationship, man, they had a really cool relationship. Uh, the little hints we get. Joseph was a protector. Pretty cool, man. He protected his son. When the angel said, hey, bad stuff's coming. Herod's coming after him. He wants to kill him. Man, it, Joseph was the one that took his wife and his son to an unknown foreign place, Egypt, to hide them. And you can read right over that in Matthew chapter two, but you got to understand, they, man, there weren't maps or Google or what's there or like, you know, hotel.com for a nice place to stay when they got there. He picked this infant up and he took his wife somewhere in a remote location and hid them for a period of time to keep him safe. Man, the protection that a man needs to do for his family is showed in the life of Joseph in that moment. Um, 
I want to show you just a little clip because I'd love for you just to somehow feel as much as you can what, uh, what it was like for Joseph in this moment. So this is for King and Country. I don't know if you ever heard them lead worship or, or um, sing, but this is called The Carol of Joseph. We're just going to listen to a, a little bit of it and then I'll, I'll wrap things up. Good song, great words. I mean, I, I really can't imagine Joseph. The question seems real, right? How can I be the one to father the, the father's son? The Navy SEALs and, and Special Forces, they say you don't, you don't rise to the moment. You fall to your level of training. Joseph fell to his level of training, which was his obedience in God to his word in that moment. And to the best we can see, he walked it out faithfully. He taught, uh, the stories say that he taught Jesus his trade as a carpenter. The uh, stories say that he took him to the synagogue when he needed to, to continue to learn and grow. The stories say that he took him to the temple at the appropriate age uh, for him to continue his development. And Joseph showed up with obedience in a difficult moment. And the result is Jesus had this stable home to grow up in. And for those of you out there who have adopted and who are adoptive fathers, I, I got to imagine you have a better sense of this than I do. And I just want to say thank you for what you're doing. Um, it's a big deal, you guys. Obedience in the difficult moments. Um, yeah. I've got a son that... Um, knows a little of that feeling of kind of the weight of responsibility in a small town. And um, things not ending up the way you want them to. And um, I'm incredibly proud of his obedience. Yeah. Of his obedience and leadership and y'all's support uh, means a lot. Let's end with this, uh, this verse from the Psalms. It's 119, and it says this, Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil, and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. Man, that's us. Don't give up on us, God. Don't give up. We are trying. We need to obey. And when we fall short, we need to ask for forgiveness, and we need to get back up and try again. But there is joy and peace in the journey as we obey God, regardless of the moment. I don't know what this season looks like. There may be some difficulty financially that make Christmas harder than it should be. There may be some relational difficulties or some family difficulties that make it more difficult. Stay faithful, stay humble, stay obedient, and watch God bless your work. Balance grace and truth in the interactions you have with the people around you and do the right thing. Watch what happens. Um, man, if, if it is significant, God will use it in your life. And the caveat to that is that everything is significant to God. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this group of people gathered here who are hearing your word, who are trusting it, submitting to it, and acting upon it. Lord, we want to be those folks. We want to be a light in this world. We want to experience your joy and peace in the chaos. 
We want to show obedience, faith, and humility like Joseph did so that we can lead and love well. I pray for the men in this room, the fathers in this room, that we would look to this example and be obedient in our pursuit of you so that we can lead others, lead these kids and, and spouses you've entrusted us to toward you. I pray for the, the women in this room who are married to pray for their husbands to, to be this kind of man. And for the kids in this room, Lord, to pray for their dads. Uh, we want to be faithful uh, for the, the totality of us as a congregation. Lord, we need to encourage and support each other. Um, this is the season we get to celebrate the birth of your son. And we thank you for him. We thank you for this gift. We thank you for the example of what obedience looked like that was his entire life, ending in incredible sacrifice. I pray that the folks in this room would know you as their Lord and as their Savior.